Um, okay. How many of you are familiar with the satirical Christian website called the Babylon Bee? Let me see your hands. Okay, about four of you. All right. Well, let me give you uh, an example of the kind of delightful uh, uh, things that you can find on the the Babylon Bee. So remember, this is a satirical uh, website, and what they do is they you know, create these uh, satirical news stories. Here, here are a couple of headlines that I found really uh, funny. I, I hope you'll agree with me these are funny. If not, you, you need to, you know, like, check your humor. Um, <laughs> so, so here's the first one. Holy Spirit unable to move as fog machine breaks. Man going to pray for volunteering at church for one hour every other month. He's going to pray about whether the Holy Spirit would have him volunteer one hour every other month. Wow. Maybe that one hit too close to home. Nobody, <laughs> nobody laughed at that. <laughs> Matt says, sounds reasonable. All right. Reformed church unintentionally pulls off perfect mannequin challenge. And here's my favorite one. Worship leader invokes Philippians 4.13 to fit into skinny jeans. You have to know Philippians 4.13 for that to be funny. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He, he, he invoked that to get into his skinny jeans. So uh, it's, it's a funny website. And uh, just before the election, they shared a headline that was funny, sad, and actually quite true. And here was the headline. Nations Christians look forward to questioning each other's faith in post-election discussions. And here's what the article had to say. Leading up to the third and final debate between presidential candidates Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, multiple sources confirmed Wednesday that Christians across America are looking forward to questioning each other's standing before God as they discuss the night's event and the looming election at large. It's a refreshing litmus test. We only get every four years, noted American citizen Christopher Gilmore. I'm excited to doubt the justification before the Lord of any so-called Christian who sees the debate or the election as a whole differently than I do. Erica Womack, another American, echoed Gilmore's remarks, adding, it's a convenient way to tell true from false believers, since no one who disagrees with me politically is a true Christian. <laughs> they may say they are, but they're not, she added. According to experts, anyone voting for Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, or anyone else, along with people choosing not to vote at all in this election, should prepare to have their salvation sincerely questioned by other believers who do not see eye to eye with them in the current political atmosphere. And that has proven to be quite close to what has actually happened both during and since our recent presidential Election, And that's why the Sundays, both before and after the election, I appealed to us not to question each other's commitment to Christ based on voting decisions. I made those appeals as someone who is tempted toward that very thing because I apply my faith to how I vote and because I apply it in the way that I think everybody ought to apply it. When others apply it differently, sometimes I struggle to have it compute with me. But I've learned to talk myself down from this. And today I want to appeal to all of us 
to resist the temptation to question each other's faith because of political differences, even in the midst of this unique election we've just come through and all of the acrimony uh, that has followed it. Now, I want to be clear to say that I don't make these appeals today because I know of any problems uh, you know, among members of our congregation. I don't know of any. But I do see Christians that are really at each other on social media. And I have read a number of things uh, in the news regarding both families and fellow believers uh, getting at odds with each other over uh, the election. In fact, within my own extended family, sort of like way out there extended, but within my own extended family, we have an example of a grandmother canceling Thanksgiving because she disagreed with her grandson's political viewpoints. I mean, folks, this is uncharted territory. Uh, This election has caused divisions between family members, divisions between believers, and it simply should not be the case. And so in such divisive times, there is an important appeal that you've likely heard at some point, if you've been a Christian for very long at all, uh, and it's an appeal that I think we need to be reminded of in this unique moment in our history. No one really knows who first said this. It's been attributed to St. Augustine and different people, but but nobody really knows for certain. But we need to remember it and apply it anyway because there is great wisdom in this appeal. Here it is. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. It's so instructive for how we need to respond to one another at this moment of great division in our nation And as many of us individually may be facing the temptation to allow divisions to develop between our brothers and sisters and ourselves. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And so for the next few minutes, I want to use this as the basis for today's message, which is an appeal to this body of believers to not allow ourselves to give in to this temptation to divide from family and fellow believers because of politics. I've titled the message, Unity, Liberty, and Charity, a Post-Election Appeal. I want to remind us from the outset of a central reality of what it means to be a Christian. It's found in Galatians 3, 27 and 28. I think it'll be on the screen behind me. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Time doesn't permit me to go into much depth about uh, the great divisions that existed between Jew and Greek slave and free, and male and female within the first century. But suffice it to say that the divisions were deep and they had existed for far longer than any of our political differences today. Paul is proclaiming that people who have nothing in common with each other and people who have uh, deep and long-lasting divisions between them all become one in Christ Jesus. If you are a genuine believer in Jesus, you have genuinely placed your faith in him, 
You have embraced the Bible as his word and you're attempting to live in obedience to him. Whatever exists between us that might be a cause of division, it becomes of secondary importance and our unity in Christ becomes the thing that is of primary importance. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, male nor female. And likewise, there is neither Democrat nor Republican, nor Libertarian, nor Independent, nor Green Partian. Green Party person. However you would say the Green, green, green Partian, green, Greenian. We'll call them Greenians. All true Christians are one in Christ. Christ takes people with political differences and makes them one. We can disagree about our politics without allowing those disagreements to destroy our unity in Jesus. It's through our shared relationship with Christ that we overcome such divisions and live like who we are, one in Christ, unified in Christ, all of us together, the body of Jesus. When we affirm this as central to our identity, We can acknowledge our differences. We can acknowledge that we have disagreements, but that we remain one in Christ. And then we're able to talk about having unity in essential things, having liberty in non-essential things, and charity in all things. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is take this appeal from author unknown and deal with each part of the appeal one at a time. In essentials, unity. This part of the appeal acknowledges that some things in the Christian life are essential. They are absolutely necessary. And on these things, there must be agreement. There must be unity among believers. To have unity on essential things, we have to be able to identify the essential things. We have to know what is essential. Now, time is a concern today, and so I might end up leaving a few unanswered questions, but the essential things are basically the things that Christians in all times and at all places have always affirmed as being necessary uh, for us to believe. The essentials can be found in documents like the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed. And the essentials, as we understand them here at Vineyard Christian Church, Um, are contained within our statement of faith. If you are a member here, you you, uh, had us go through the statement of faith with you before you became a member. If you want to re-familiarize yourself with those, you can go to the website and pull them up. If if you're new here and you'd like to see what our statement of faith is, you can go to the website and pull it up, or you can go to Heather's office and ask her to dig through the files and try to find one for you, (laughs) try try to find a copy for you. But this is what we believe we have to be unified around. And I'm not going to read it all. It's 11 fairly wordy points on our statement of faith, but I want to try to summarize some of it for us, okay? We we have to be in agreement about who God is, that there is one God, eternally uh, existent as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we can't agree on this, we're going to have trouble walking together in unity. We must agree together that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, and Jesus is our only hope of salvation. 
We have to believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day. We have to believe this. We have to believe that the Holy Spirit indwells all believers. We have to believe that we are sinners saved only by God's grace. We have to believe that the Bible is the word of God. It's not just one source of truth in the midst of a whole bunch of sources of truth. It's not our conversation partner where we talk with it and agree with some of what it says and don't agree with the rest of what it says. The Bible is God's word, inerrant and infallible. This is something that we must agree on or we're going to have difficulty walking together in unity. We must agree together that the church is called to evangelize. Oh yes, that's in our statement of faith. It's presented with a lot of nice sounding words, but that's what it comes down to. We're called to evangelize, and that's something we have to agree on. We, we, we can't believe this is just for us, not care about anybody else. If we can't agree on that, we, we're going to have trouble walking together in unity. We, we agree on the, the two ordinances of the church, water baptism and communion, which we're going to receive today at the end of the service. We must agree on this. Jesus is coming again. And he will judge everyone. These are the essentials. If we cannot agree on these things, we are going to have difficulty walking together in unity. Now, there's more in there, but, but I hit the highlights. You might have noticed there is nothing about politics in the statement of faith. I tried to get the elders to approve it and they would not. That was so much funnier than the laugh I got. <laughs> there is not a political essential for walking in unity as believers. There's no litmus test of party affiliation or position on unions or viewpoint on national security matters. And here's why. Even political viewpoints that are grounded in a Christian worldview almost always fail the test of essentiality. We can even bring the same biblical values to our politics, but apply them differently. And so... At the risk of angering everybody in the room, here's an example. The anticipation is building. In my view, there is no clearer political issue upon which Christians should agree than the cause of the unborn. I only call it a political issue because it gets debated and fought about in the public arena of ideas uh, and because it requires government involvement to either allow it, restrict it, or outlaw it. For Christians, there really is not any issue that is more biblically clear that gets worked out in the public arena, uh, arena, arena than abortion and the cause of the unborn. I've said this before, so I'm not saying anything I haven't said consistently over 11 and a half years. I believe this with every fiber of my being. Christians are pro-life. I say this with no reservation and no uncertainty that if you disagree, you're simply wrong. Christians are pro-life. 
Christians are pro-life because God is pro-life. Christians are pro-life because science affirms the humanity of the unborn child. In all of the talk about science and anti-science, let me tell you what the scientific position is. It is the pro-life position. No question, not, not even, it's not even debatable. Christians, Christians are pro-life because the Bible is clear that all human life is precious and should be protected. So I'm going to share some opinions here today, and here's one. For me, in every election, the choice is clear. I do not vote for the pro-choice candidate. If I know they're pro-choice, I do not vote for them. I just don't do it. My view is that if you are wrong on that issue, you simply do not have the moral or intellectual capacity to deserve my vote. But, but, some Christians vote for pro-choice candidates. Pro-life Christians vote for pro-choice candidates. And here's what's important for our purposes here today. While I may disagree with them, I do not believe that I can elevate this to an essential thing, especially once I consider the rationale of many Christians who will make these kinds of decisions. What pro-life Christians who vote for pro-choice candidates will often say is something like what I'm about to share with you. They'll say things like this. Pro-life politicians are often only pro-life to get my vote. Then I vote for them, and they do absolutely nothing for the cause of the unborn. They say nothing about the pro-life cause for the two, four, six years of their term, and then when they're up for re-election, they're suddenly pro-life again. I'm not going to keep being used like that by someone who is not accomplishing anything for the cause of the unborn, especially when I don't agree with them on other important issues, and so I'm not going to continue to be their useful idiot. Now, there are ways that I can disagree with that assessment, but I know of nothing biblically that enables me to elevate such a voting decision and what I view as an incorrect rationale to the level of an essential thing. I know of nothing that allows me to do that. Now, let me be clear. I think that being pro-life is essential for Christians, but I cannot say that a calculation that says, A, I don't believe the pro-life candidate really means it, or B, they may be pro-life, but they never do anything for the cause of life, so I'm not going to let them always get my vote because of this issue. That calculation does not objectively allow me to say that someone has violated an essential thing. And so here's a case where a political viewpoint grounded in a Christian worldview, being pro-life, still fails the test of essential because there are reasonable arguments a pro-life Christian can make that might lead them away from a declared pro-life candidate. I don't have to agree with their determination to appreciate that I cannot make an essential thing out of it simply because I think they should have determined differently. And so we have to understand that it is only on matters that are truly essential that we can demand unity, agreement among all believers. The essentials are largely contained within our statement of faith, and even political viewpoints that are grounded in a biblical worldview almost always fail the test of essentiality.
which leads us to the next part of the appeal. In non-essentials, liberty. If I've been successful at at least bringing into the realm of consideration for you that even political viewpoints grounded in a Christian worldview mostly fail the test of essentiality, if that's true, if most things in politics fall into the category of non-essentials for Christians, then we have to allow for liberty. And we should not question the faith of those who differ with us including those who voted differently than us. I say this as someone with very strong opinions about how Christians ought to be involved politically and how they ought to vote. But to place political viewpoints in the category of an essential thing, I believe, can only be done by going beyond what Scripture would actually support us and allow us to say. And so we have to avoid the temptation to question the faith of those who voted differently than us or those who did not vote at all. Some Christians this year, probably a much higher percentage than in most years, uh, decided to abstain from voting. And they should not have their faith questioned because of it. Disagree with them if you want, but don't question their faith. I don't know the numbers, but it was a pretty, pretty decent percentage of people felt that both candidates this year, both of the main candidates, were so uniquely flawed that they simply could not in good conscience vote for either one. They viewed Hillary Clinton as corrupt and untrustworthy, I would say with good cause. They knew Donald Trump to be a serial, serial adulterer and seemingly proud of it. He behaved in ways that we teach our children not to behave. They viewed him as an immoral and untrustworthy man, and I would also say on that point, with good cause. And they said that they could not in good conscience vote for either. And those who were voting for Donald Trump were angry with these people because they thought that he was going to hand the election to Hillary Clinton. And those who were voting for Hillary Clinton were angry with these people because they thought that it was going to hand the election to Donald Trump. These folks had no obligation to violate their conscience. They just didn't. While I hold the opinion that Christians ought to vote, and in our fallen world vote for the fallen candidate that they believe will result in the most good possible, the Bible does not require any of us to vote. And so they shouldn't have their faith questioned. Some Christians voted third party. And those who were supporting Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton disliked them for the same reason they disliked those who were abstaining. And so all my previous statements apply. And so we'll move on to the two that most people voted for. It's been reported that upward of 80% of evangelical Christians voted for Donald Trump. And Joe Carter of the Gospel Coalition questions those numbers for a variety of reasons, including that they're based on exit polls. And we found out polls uh, aren't what we thought. For that and other reasons I'm not going to go into, he places the likely evangelical vote for Donald Trump at somewhere around 35 to 40% of evangelicals. Either way, the reality is, that between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, a lot more evangelicals voted for uh, Donald Trump than voted for Hillary Clinton. Knowing the makeup of this church, I don't know this factually, but just 
knowing what I think I know, I'm quite certain that that probably holds true for this congregation. And so what I'm about to say may challenge uh, a fairly high percentage of you here today. Some Christians, including evangelical Christians, voted for Hillary Clinton. And their faith should not be questioned because of it. And here are some reasons they may have voted for her. These Christians, in many cases, determined that Donald Trump was not reliable in his espoused pro-life views. And so they determined that one of the main reasons other Christians were voting for him, that he was not trustworthy to, to carry out what he promised. They may have determined that since abortion has remained legal for 43 years through both Republican and Democrat administrations, that basing their vote on the hope that abortion would be outlawed was unrealistic, and that the best that we can hope to accomplish on that issue is to educate people and appeal to their hearts. They may have decided that they preferred a candidate with political experience instead of a candidate with no political experience. Maybe their views on immigration lined up better with Mrs. Clinton than Mr. Trump. Maybe their views on trade or any number of other things. Maybe their views on uh, poverty and what to do about that lined up better with Mrs. Clinton than Mr. Trump. And the list could go on and on and on. The point is that you do not have to agree that your brother or sister made the right choice. The point is to understand how a Christian might make a decision you wouldn't, but still be a genuine believer and not deserve to have their faith questioned. And here's the reality in many evangelical churches, likely including this one. The people who voted for Hillary Clinton are likely in a relatively small minority within their churches. And that can make for a lonely place, even if they have not gone public with their voting decision. And so to those of you who voted for Hillary Clinton, I want you to know that I am not, and I will say we are not, because I know my message is going to be so persuasive that everybody will agree with me when we're done. We are not calling your faith into question. I am not, we are not angry with anyone who voted for Hillary Clinton. Many of your brothers and sisters disagree with you. You probably already know this. And you're probably mature enough, I'm confident you're mature enough to handle that. But our unity is not based on agreeing politically. It is based on both of us belonging to Christ and being more concerned about God's kingdom than we are about politics. We are one in Christ. And political differences do not change that. And finally, some Christians, a significant percentage of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump and their faith should not be questioned because of it. It's been surprising to me how many Christians have been openly condemning other Christians on social media for supporting Donald Trump, accusing them of harming their witness, accusing them of being hypocrites calling their faith into question. Can I drop a truth bomb on everybody? There was not a morally pure candidate in this race. It's just true. There wasn't. Your brothers and sisters in Christ who voted for Donald Trump largely did so while being troubled by his immoral behavior, disliking his juvenile tone, and being embarrassed by some of his more unfortunate tweets. And isn't it sad that that word is even a part of our vocabulary, <laughs> tweets? That's just, that's just rough. I feel 
feel silly saying it. <laughs> but those of you who, who, who were appalled by Donald Trump and you're appalled that fellow believers voted for him, you have the same responsibility that Trump voters had. You, you have to understand what went into the, the thinking of your fellow Christians. They determined that his pro-life conversion was believable. And they thought he would be better for the cause of life. They determined his stated intentions regarding the Supreme Court would be better for the cause of life and religious liberty. And they were willing to trust that he would, that he would uh, stay true to those stated intentions. They might have agreed with him more than you, uh, might have agreed with him more uh, on the issue of immigration. And I know this is a tough one for people who, who view immigration uh, in, in a different way, but look, folks, it simply is not biblically accurate to say that support for controlled legal immigration is at odds with the injunction in Leviticus to treat foreigners well and to treat them as our native-born. It's just, it's going beyond what Scripture allows you to say. They might have agreed with President-elect Trump that NAFTA has been a bad thing for our country or that the TPP trade deal was going to be a bad thing for our country. And much like those who voted for Hillary Clinton overlooked her cheerleading for abortion on demand, those who voted for Trump overlooked some of the worst things about him because they determined he would govern with the most respect for their values and would thereby represent the best chance at achieving the most for the common good. Just like those who voted for Trump should not question the faith of those who voted for Clinton, those of you who voted for Hillary Clinton should not question the faith of those who voted for Donald Trump. We had only horribly flawed candidates to choose from. And so all of us who voted, however we chose to do it, we made calculations as to which flawed and sinful politician we thought would give the best opportunity for the most good. And so we shouldn't judge each other in either direction because voting decisions are not part of the essentials that we must agree on. And even voting decisions grounded in a Christian worldview almost always fail the test of essentiality. Instead of spending our time judging each other, we'd be more pleasing to God and we'd be a lot better off if we would evaluate our own lives. Those of you who think the United States should apply the command to treat the foreigner as native-born by having open borders, do you welcome strangers into your own home in the name of Jesus? Those of you who think abortion should be outlawed, which I hope is all of you, is all that you do for the cause of life is condemn people who don't agree with you? Or do you do anything proactive and positive for the cause of life? Do you give any money toward that cause? Do you serve at a pro-life pregnancy center? Do you uh, adopt or would you consider adopting? I'm not suggesting that anybody needs to do any of those things, but do you do anything? Do you pray? Do you pray for the unborn? Or do you just loudly condemn people who disagree with you? You who condemn the harsh rhetoric of politicians, do you always speak respectfully to people that you're in a passionate debate with? I finally had to hide one of my Facebook friends because in response to his outrage about 
Donald Trump and how Donald Trump treats people, he took to incessantly calling anyone who expressed a disagreement with him an idiot, a moron, and a mind-numbed robot. Pot, meat, kettle. I mean, dude, what is your problem? You despise Donald Trump, but you are Donald Trump. (laughs) You're acting just like him. You who vote based on family values. You want prayer affirmed in school. You want scriptures imprinted on public spaces. Do you live your family values? Do you read those scriptures you want to keep imprinted on the public buildings? Do you pray? Or do you just want to make sure the kids at school can pray? It, that's about the 18th time that's happened. Uh, or do you just want kids at school to be able to pray? Most of the teenagers I know aren't that hyped up uh, about the opportunity to pray at school. (laughs) Let's just be real about it. Let's just be real about it. Do you pray? You who want the government to spend trillions of dollars on the poor, do you do anything for the poor or do you just want everybody else to do stuff for the poor? Are we having fun yet? My reading of the Bible leads me to the conclusion that God cares very much about what nations do, but most of what we read in Scripture seems to be to be much more concerned with what each one of us individually do with the opportunities for good that God places in front of us. And so instead of judging each other, let's direct some attention at examining how well we're doing on the topics that we are the most vocal about during the election. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. So we strive for unity in the essentials. We strive for liberty in the non-essentials. And however close we get to pulling that off or don't, Christians are called to be charitable in all things. Christian who voted for Donald Trump and you cannot wrap your brain around how another Christian voted for Hillary Clinton in all things charity. Christian who voted for Hillary Clinton and you cannot wrap your brain around how a Christian voted for Donald Trump in all things charity. Both of you, we have some common ground for you. Because both of you cannot wrap your brains around how other Christians abstained in all things. Charity. How charitable is it to question the faith of your brothers and sisters for a different political calculation? Not very. It's real low, real low on the charity meter. How charitable is it to loudly condemn your brothers and sisters for harming their Christian witness for simply preferring one flawed, fallible candidate to another flawed, fallible candidate? Not very. 1 Corinthians 13 has some things to say to us in this divisive moment in American history when the church itself is at risk of division. 
If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. I don't think we do any damage to this text at all to apply it this way. If I have the correct political views, if I made the best calculation in who I voted for for president, but I don't have love, I am a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. And so a few quick suggestions on how we can move forward in charitable ways. Here's the first one. By receiving the appeal of this message and this age-old appeal in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. By remembering that even biblically informed political decisions mostly do not rise to the level of essential. Because while we can even agree on biblical values, we may disagree on the best way to advance those values in our pluralistic culture. We move forward charitably by remembering that we're one in Christ, that in Christ, even though we have divisions among us, we are still one. Disagreements among us, we are still one. We move forward charitably by refusing to condemn brothers and sisters in Christ over debatable matters. We move forward charitably by always being people who pursue, pursue truth, affirm only factual information, refuse to perpetuate rumors and intentionally divisive rhetoric. We move forward charitably by always being respectful when we engage in political debate. I've said a few weeks ago, I'll say it again here today, I, I think political debate is a good thing. I, I think people should debate away. But do it respectfully. And if you reach the point where you just know I, like, <laughs> I'm beyond where I can continue to be respectful, then just opt out. And here's one. We move forward praying for our national leaders. Whether you support him or not, you now have a responsibility to pray for President-elect Trump. If the Apostle Paul can tell the first century Christians to pray for Nero, you can pray for Donald Trump. And let me assure you that it's okay for this to be one of your prayers. God, please change that man. That's an okay prayer. You know, sometimes we think when we're told to pray for people, we just have to pray for a blessing and candy to rain down on them from heaven and all those kind of things. It's, it's like okay to pray for God to change people. We move forward charitably by remembering that while politics is important, it is temporal. 
And so our passion for politics should always be tempered by the knowledge that it is temporal. And while politics are a way to work for the good of our fellow man, politics always remain a part of the kingdom of man. And we are people who are primarily concerned and motivated by the kingdom of God. And so I want to leave you with this quote from Mark Dever, who's the lead pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He says this, Before and after America, there was and will be the church. The nation is an experiment. The church is a certainty. Amen. I love the United States of America. My allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. And that's where our unity is at. Care about politics, but care about the church and God's kingdom more. The church will be the church no matter what happens in the realm of politics. And the church is called to charity in all things. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.